The morning after 2016's election day brought terror for many in the U.S., including those in the LGBTQ community. Now the 2020 presidential election is here, and my guest, Chantal Charisse, joins me to discuss how to move forward. I'm Joy Dertinger, and this is 99 Lead Balloons. Episode 7, LGBTQ Issues in Politics. Chantel, thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for joining me on an episode of 99 Lead Balloons. Thank you for having me. Yeah, I'm really, really excited. Um, so let it be known now that Chantal is my sibling. Um, and we have known each other for however old you are. I don't know <laughs> anymore. <laughs> <laughs> I have forgotten and I'm too tired to do the math. That's it. Yep. It should be easy. Should be like my age minus nine, but that sounded too hard. (laughs) Basic math skill. Nine is a difficult number to, you know. Yeah. To 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 subtract. subtract (laughs) It's tough. Oh, well, they, thanks again for being here. I'm really excited uh, to to be having this chat with you. And um, I feel like we've tried a bunch of times to make this work. And then um, some new development would happen in the world or in politics or something like that. And we'd be like, we need to redo that. Um, <laughs> so. <laughs> <laughs> irrelevant irrelevant (laughs) like literally like two days after recording we would go oh it doesn't matter anymore so um (laughs) here we are I am really excited though to have this conversation and I think this is about as relevant as it's going to get and uh we're gonna I'm gonna hurry up and push this episode out so it it stays relevant (laughs) it's gonna be good (laughs) So yeah, um, excellent. I'm yes. excited. Yeah, me too. Um, so, would you mind telling us, telling the listeners, a little bit about yourself? It could really be anything you want. Um, synopsis of your life, or what you do for a living, or um, really anything that you want to share about yourself at all. Cool. Yeah. Um, so I'm a musician, a freelance violinist. Um, so I guess that is my quote unquote living Mm -hmm. for now I'm still a student I would like to have a living in music Um, (laughs) (laughs) it would be nice Um, I'm currently applying for uh, grad school this fall and I guess a little bit more personally um, just figure out how I want my career to fit into the social environment that we're all living in and figuring out how that can be impactful and how I can use my skills and resources to make a difference that's been weighing pretty heavily on my mind lately with everything. So mm-hmm. yeah, I feel like I'm in a very um, transitional phase of who am I? <laughs> 
perfect timing. It's great timing. Yeah, it's good. <laughs> well, thanks for sharing that. Obviously, on this podcast, we talk about all kinds of things and we talk about a lot of different uh, perspectives that people might have that influence the way that they interact with the world, whether that's politics, religion, social structures, all kinds of things. Um, so would it be okay if you share a little bit about your identities and just um, whatever you feel comfortable sharing? Yeah, sure. So um, I guess you know, since we grew up together in mm-hmm. the same household, yes. um, that we were raised very conservatively Christian. Mm-hmm. Um, in the last five or six years, I feel like even when I was still living at our parents' house, I kind of started breaking away from that uh, quite a bit as I realized that I was queer. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that didn't really fit the narrative that I was raised to fit into. Right. So I wouldn't consider myself religious at this point but I feel like with my background in it, I consider it in ways to be helpful because it's, it has allowed me to see the different perspectives somehow politically in our world because those things are kind of intertwined at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm, I'm fairly liberal, but I hesitate to even use that word just because it can mean so many different things right now. Um, To be honest, I'm figuring out if I even belong in the two-party system, because I don't really think I do. Um, (laughs) So (laughs) um, there's that. Yeah. um, So, yeah, I, I guess I am a non-religious queer liberal person to summarize (laughs) um (laughs) yeah and uh still figuring all of that out you know Mm -hmm. I I feel like I didn't have a lot of time to figure that out growing up or a lot of space I guess so Mm. I feel kind of like a baby still in the real world and every day I'm learning something new that changes my perspective and We'll see where I'm at five years from now, because I sure have changed a lot in the last five years. (laughs) Honestly, I think so many of us have. And uh, like change is inevitable, right? Growth, if you are like even remotely pliable, uh, growth is inevitable if you're even a little bit flexible. And I think that the only people who don't grow are people who, you know, have, um, I'm just going to say it, like arrogance plays a really big part in that. Um, People who refuse to grow, who refuse to change their mindset, even after, you know, possibly hearing other people's stories and experiences. So I think if you haven't changed at all in the last five years, it might be something to um, consider. So... (laughs) There's that. Uh, <laughs> I would I would agree. <laughs> yeah. But there's something that you said about like not liking the word liberal, which really is how I feel a lot too. And 
it's really strange, at least for me, to try and explain why I don't like that word. And I feel like my my feelings about that word come from a place of why is why are the things that I think are basic human rights considered liberal? Like when we think about what the word liberal actually means in the most literal sense, right? Like a liberal uh, coating of sugar or, you know, they liberally buttered their toast or whatever it is. You think like over the top and excessive and oh, so much. But really, all we're actually fighting for is like a decent living, like you were saying before. Like, I would like to actually be able to live and survive and not have to struggle to buy my groceries and not have to ask other people for help when my car breaks down. And I would like to... um just, you know, be able to afford the, the basic medications and healthcare that I need to survive. And that to me doesn't seem liberal. That seems like a baseline, like people having equal rights seems like a baseline, doesn't feel liberal to me. And yet that's the word that not just Republicans and conservatives have adopted, it's the word that everyone has adopted. It's like, yeah, I'm liberal. Okay, okay. why is that liberal? Like, I don't want that to be the word that we use anymore. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I would agree with that. And I don't know what the right word is. I feel like I keep coming back to the word humane, mm. but that still just doesn't even quite cover it, I suppose. But yeah, liberal does sound so extreme when in reality, I guess the more I've been out in the uh, real world, (laughs) I think it's absolutely ridiculous that we even have to question something. I saw something today on the internets that uh, said um, something like um, unpopular opinion, but don't you think that we should stop debating if queer people should have rights in classrooms because you're literally asking certain kids if their life deserves to matter or something like Mm -hmm. that and it's just like yeah why why are we having these conversations in public education institutions for like very small children even Mm -hmm. in 2020 you know as some radical idea that that people should you know, have to justify their existence. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's mind blowing um, that that's even a conversation. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. So you shared a little bit about about that specifically about yourself. Um, you know that like over time, sort of shedding that skin of like Christianity and in, in um, the narrative that told you that it was not okay to be queer. And yet here you are, a queer person who is existing and living and, you know, um, doing good things for your community, doing good things for your school, for your students, for your um, friends and family and classmates. And so 
I wonder if you would share a little bit about the ways, um, the ways that your identity, specifically like your identity as a queer person, how that affects you as you move throughout the world and how that impacts the way that you interact with social structures and politics and all kinds of things. Yeah. Let me think about where to start. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there's a lot. Fair. I mean, yeah. Yeah. I, it definitely is part of every part of my life. I, I don't think that it is my sole identity. Like some people maybe feel, um, I think that I have accepted it as more of some kind of, it's still integral, but it's, that's exactly what it is, I guess, is it's, it's integral, but it's integrated. Mm-hmm. Um, so I feel like I'm not one of those people to walk around proclaiming that I'm queer. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. Um, but that I, I feel like I, I do feel a sense of community when I'm with others who identify similarly. Um, It was really liberating to come to a public education institution where there was a broader spectrum of belief systems and orientations. Yeah. Um, I think for myself, politically, at least, my first presidential election I was um, allowed to participate in was in 2016. And mm-hmm. it did, quite frankly, terrify me that I woke up a few days later to see, um, you know, who was sitting in the White House. Yeah. Um, you know, it was it was very strange because I had just gotten out of my family's home um, and had to leave for that very reason and then got out and felt like I had the biggest gulp of fresh air. And then a few months later, here I am feeling like I'm kind of back there in a sense. Mm. Um, Just the things that people were saying about not only queer people, but just anybody that a white privileged person would consider different. Mm -hmm. Um, And that was very frightening for myself because I didn't know I don't know. In a sense, I didn't want anybody to know that I was queer again. Mm. I felt like I had just come out and I, I almost didn't want anybody to know again because the, the political climate was in an uproar. Yeah. Um, so I think um, as far as you mentioned my students and stuff, so I do teach private violin lessons and I have enjoyed that very much. I remember my freshman year of college, I had a, a an eighth grader as a student, I want to say. And um, they, they had come to me with some personal issues in the past and didn't know on what level I was allowed to kind of share myself with them mm-hmm. just to keep things professional. Yeah. Um, there had been 
some history of some really awful things in their past with their family and things. And then one day they came into their lesson and asked if they could talk to me about something instead of play their violin that day, um, Mm. which was kind of a normal occurrence, but it was just very strange. And again, I felt like I was sweating. I was like, Oh God, what is this going to be about? Mm. Um, Am I going to have to call somebody? (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, And they were just like, no, like, um, I think that I'm non-binary and I think that I am like bisexual, non-binary or something. And I was like, wow, you're in the eighth grade and you know what that means. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and they were like, do you, like, do you think that people are going to bully me, bully me when I get into high school and all this stuff? And like oh, I didn't go to public high school mm-hmm. but it was it was kind of a unique situation where I felt like I was able to confide in them and say hey like I'm also a queer person and like it's okay like you can express yourself without having to shout it to the world if you're still figuring it out or yeah. if you want to that's fine too you know like but it was it was rewarding to be able to offer a safe space in that moment and I realized that what I do can offer safe spaces Mm -hmm. so I guess that's one way that teaching I guess um, specifically has offered opportunities for me to express my identity and maybe um, be a community for other people yeah Now, historically, something like that would not have always been the case. And even like you're saying, even now, it is a fine line to tread um, because that is something that like if a student is coming to you in confidence and sharing something like that with you, um, obviously, that's not something that you would share with a student unprompted. Like, hey, just so that you know this you know this is something about me that you should know because it's not necessary but if they're coming to you in confidence and um you know seeking some form of like hey I'm kind of in distress what do I do or I need to hear that it's okay um now that's a different story but historically speaking even what happened in that conversation would have been it could have been significantly different even like 30 or 40 years ago. Or even today. I mean, I had, I mean, I know, you know, this teacher had a similar reaction to me, but they worked at a university and they lost their job because they told their student it was okay. Mm, wow. At like a, I guess a private Christian yeah uh, institution yeah I was gonna say that's a little more (laughs) yeah it's illegal in you know if it's a public institution but when it's like a private Christian one um title nine doesn't apply um which I think is ridiculous oh title nine title nine which is being gutted I know I feel like I've already suffered some repercussions from having to deal with that at mm-hmm. um, my school. Yeah, yeah, I I hear you. Uh, I think that that's one of the things that, like you're sharing about, like, 
waking up, you know, the morning after the election and seeing the results that 45 was in office and that that was going to be our future. Um, and I think it's like you said, any margin, every marginalized person, right, was like waking up scared, waking up afraid, waking up and seeing that news was terrifying. Every person that I know who holds a marginalized identity, not just the most marginalized, but a marginalized identity, um, every single person was afraid, was terrified. I was afraid. I was terrified. Um, because while I hold a lot of privilege, I also hold marginalized identities. And so it's a really interesting experience to fight with people who have similar privilege or the same privilege, and yet they don't hold that same marginalized identity as you do. And to like have that argument with them of like, okay, yeah, no, I know you think we're the same, but we're not. And let me tell you why it's, why it's different and how this is going to impact people and not just me, but other people far more significantly than it's going to impact me and continuing to try to like express that to people, um, is, is exhausting. It is frustrating. And again, is speaking as a white person, I cannot imagine the, the frustration and the anger and the rage of any BIPOC person trying to like, no, seriously, alarm bells should be going off. Try, you know, like trying to express that to people. Um, and, uh, anyone in the queer community as well, um, trying to say like, no, 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 this is serious. Um, because of our history, um, which I think is really easy for, um, cishet white people to forget mm -hmm. that, the history of the United States is fraught with just continued violence against so many people groups. I'm amazed that such behavior is tolerated and in a lot of cases applauded. Yeah. Yeah, it is completely wild because it's the opposite of what we were always taught. Is it though? I mean, yes and no. It it's not it's not contradictory to the core, to the reality, right? Of what we were taught, to what people were actually saying. It is contradictory to the image of what people were teaching us. It is contradictory to the um sort of outer shell of the narrative, you know, that they wanted everyone yeah. to see. Like, oh, we love everyone. We love everyone unconditionally. Because that's how Jesus loves you. But wait a minute, though. Actually, we can't love you um, unconditionally if you are queer, if you are um, black, if you are a survivor of sexual abuse, if you've had an abortion, if you <laughs> are um, 
if you are fat, if you are disabled, if you have um, yeah. mental illness, like literally anything that's not um, this homogenized version of what we have been trying to like hammer you into. And so historically speaking, even though that like outer coding of, hey, this is what we want you to be. And this is, you know, this is what is good. And this is what is kind. And you love everybody unconditionally. Historically speaking, like history doesn't bear that out in any, in any way. Um, whether you're talking politically or, um, or religiously or socially, none of those things bear out in the education system, in healthcare, in anything, which is why we have things like Title IX. Which is why we did. Oh, have- yeah. <laughs> Fair point. <laughs> it is why we did have Title IX. Oh, my God. There's so much about that. Like, when, when I was in college, I wish I had known about Title IX, first of all. I wish I had known that that was even a thing. Um, and I wonder sometimes how many college students do know about Title IX, like really know what it is. I think that you've been more conscious of those things than a lot of maybe other students that I, that I knew or know. Um, and that could be for a variety of reasons, but when you were going into college and you were... Um, sort of moving into this quote-unquote real world, like you've said, did you know about things like Title IX? What was the significance of that for you? Um, did you know about, like, the historicity of the LGBTQ plus community um, and why things like that were so important? Uh, like, I wonder if you would share a little bit about that with us. I didn't know anything about any of it. Mm. Um, I think that I was actually staying at your house for a weekend when I was doing the Tory Title IX training my freshman year. Oh, yeah. Um, hmm. mm-hmm. It was required for every student uh, entering school. And I actually had to retake it this year because I am in a different degree, I guess. Um, so uh-huh. to the school, I'm a new student, um, <laughs> <laughs> but I, uh, yeah, that was shocking. And to be quite honest, it was kind of traumatic and I didn't really understand why as a, I guess, woman, I, I didn't understand why I had to learn about rape and sexual assault. Mm. because I feel like I knew about it already fairly intimately. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that was, that was kind of frustrating for me. I didn't, I didn't know if I could get out of the training cause it was kind of uh, super triggering. Yeah. Um, now I know that I can. Um, <laughs> really? But I, I didn't know. Yeah. Yeah. If you, if it's traumatic for you, you can email somebody and ask for an exception to um, either take a different kind of training or be exempt from the training. 
um, which I chose not to do because it wasn't as graphic this year when I had to retake the training. Mm. The first year I did it, it was probably four hours of videos and Ugh. testing and reading and such. Yep. Um, maybe that was because I was very thorough, but <laughs> it took me forever. Mm-hmm. Um, so it just felt like multiple pings on my chest. Yeah. Um, but I feel like since then I've really wanted to know what my rights are as a student and as a person in society because I've been taken advantage of so many times in so many different ways that I refuse to let myself be taken advantage of again if I can help it. Mm -hmm. So I think that's why I've been so um, active in learning school policies and different um, rights that I have just even politically and socially yeah. because I didn't get a lot of that education growing up. So mm. playing <laughs> catch up. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I mean, there's, there's so much to that. Um, when did you, when did you start learning more about, um, the queer movement and the LGBTQ plus community and the history behind that. To be honest, I'm still learning a lot. I feel like I don't know as much as others still. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think that I I started reading about it. This is kind of embarrassing, but I think I started (laughs) reading about it on Tumblr when I was like 17 I mean, I don't think that I don't think that's embarrassing because if that's what you have access to and you know that that's a safe avenue for you to learn about something, then go for it. True, true. Yeah. Yeah. So I was a Tumblr teen. Yeah. And I definitely dove into that when I was maybe like a junior in high school. Mm. And it was maybe more modern history, like history in the making with the queer movement. Mm-hmm. Um, more current events, but I have really enjoyed diving into the last several years being in college. I really enjoyed diving into some of the um, like the transgender rights movements and mm-hmm. different communities that have been integral to pop culture mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. and pop culture development. I think that's been really thing to figure out because so much of what we consume still today was the foundation was laid like decades ago by people that still wouldn't be acknowledged by society as human beings Mm -hmm. yeah yeah and there's so much to that that like like you're saying, um, oh, you were a Tumblr teen and that's how you first started learning about LGBTQ history. And um, Tumblr, if it existed when I was a teen, I didn't know about it. Um, so I was not a Tumblr teen and I'm going to be perfectly honest with you right now. I do not understand it in the slightest. I have tried. I don't get it. I don't know what it is. It doesn't make sense to me, but I don't know. 
But anyway, that being said, um, I started learning about LGBTQ history and rights because of people that I cared about, like you, who came out as queer. And um, other people that I loved and cared about were dealing with issues, whether it was from employment or family members or education systems or healthcare or whatever it may be, or, or just like neighbors or like people in the, their town, um, being like wildly homophobic, wildly transphobic. And I was like, what is the deal? I thought that this was okay. And like in, you know, culturally and socially and whatever, I thought it was like more okay now than it used to be. And so what's the deal? And then, um, so I didn't take Tumblr. I took to Twitter and cause I was like, mm. like, I, I need to learn more about this and how can I do that? And like, obviously Google is a thing, but the great thing about Twitter and I, I guess I'm assuming Tumblr because I still don't understand it. But the great thing about Twitter is that you follow enough, um, people and history comes to you. Mm-hmm. And and you don't have to worry about making sure that you Google the right keywords and all of these different things. You follow enough of the right people and you have the opportunity to sit at the feet of some really incredible educators and some really amazing historians and just overall amazing artists and people. Um, just really incredible people. And so that was like where I went was to Twitter. And mm-hmm. the more I learned, the more I was like, oh my God, we're, we're working within a really short span of time within which this became more culturally acceptable and more socially acceptable. That doesn't mean that queer people didn't exist before. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, uh, it's one of those things that, we weren't taught about, like you and I weren't taught about, and I don't think most people are taught about it, are taught that history. No, I don't think so. I don't think so. Um, but if you know people, you know and care about a queer person, even if you don't know that you do. And mm-hmm. so this should be something that is a big deal for everyone. Um, and it's the knowing it's the knowing though that that's hard for a lot of people Mm -hmm. yeah knowing that they do actually care for a queer person and that that's part of somebody's identity that they care for Mm -hmm. join us next week as we discuss moving into the new term with eyes wide open and a strategy you've been listening to 99 lead balloons honest talk about shit society ignores. 
Special thanks to my guest, Chantal Charisse, for joining me. For more information on Chantal is working on or to find her music, find her on Instagram at Chantal Charisse Music. Graphic and web design by Chris Campbell Creative. Go to chriscampbell.com for more. Theme song by Luciano Music Company. Licensed by Premium Beat by Shutterstock. Produced and edited by Stoke the Wild Studios. To stay up to date on episodes and content, follow us on Instagram and Twitter at 99pod or go to 99pod.com. Thanks for listening. We'll catch you next week.